Good morning, friends. Thanks for worshiping with us today. We've got a quick announcement for you, and then we'll get to today's sermon. Um, we want to encourage everyone, mark your calendars for Sunday night, October 4th at 6 p.m. We're going to gather together at Lakeshore Park. We're going to meet at a facility there called Marble Hall. It's this really awesome old chapel that they've renovated. Uh, it's covered, but it's open air. It's a great spot for us to gather as a church family and worship together. And so that night, October 4th at 6 p.m., will be in place of our normal Sunday morning service. And so we want to invite everyone to come out, gather, and worship with us. In addition to that, moving forward into October, we are prayerfully considering what the, th the fourth quarter will look like for us. So October, November, and December, our hope and prayer is that we're going to move back into in-person worship services. And so be praying for us as church staff, as leaders, as we make some final decisions. Um, parents, be watching for a text or a phone call from our staff as we kind of determine how everyone's feeling about kids' classes. Um, we want to figure out if we're going to offer those, what they'll look like if we do. And so your feedback is really important to us, okay? All right, well, now we're excited to get into the sermon today. Um, this Sunday is going to be part one of a part two series in the book of Luke, and I'm not going to be preaching. We've got the great privilege of our dear friend, Pastor Dave Buring. He's a longtime friend and mentor in my life. He's, he's preached at our church a handful of times over the last couple of years, and we're very blessed to have him preaching through the book of Luke for the next two Sundays. And so, friends, let's prepare our hearts to hear a word from God from our dear friend, Pastor Dave. All right, Dave, take it away. Hey, Grace Chapel, Knoxville. Dave Beering here. Welcome to our home in Franklin, Tennessee. It is a delight and a privilege to be with you, not only today, but next Sunday as well as Pastor Jake and Amy and their family get a little refreshment. I had the opportunity to be with you back in May when you were in the book of Ezra. And this time, these next two weeks, we find ourselves in the Gospel of Luke. Luke is one of my very favorite authors. Do you know him and Paul, the two of them combined, have written the most material in the New Testament? Luke didn't only write the Gospel of Luke, but he also wrote the book of Acts. And so when you read Luke and then you spill right into Acts, you're getting a good feel from this doctor, this physician, his perspective of the life of Jesus and what happened in the newborn church. So Luke is a great author to read and to understand and to follow. And today, I want to select one piece out of uh, Luke chapter 1 to 12, and that is chapter 4, The Temptation of Jesus. I think there's some things to be mined and to be had in there as we look at its context and the temptations a little bit closer up, and then how it might apply to our lives, that we might walk in freedom from the threats and temptations of the enemy, just like Jesus did. So if you wouldn't mind, grab your Bible, and I'll get mine. And turn with me to Luke chapter 4, and we're going to read verses 1 through 13. But before I do that, or, or while you're maybe getting there in your Bibles, pray with me. Let's just ask the Holy Spirit to make the Word of God alive to us today, all right? Lord Jesus, thank you for your life, the life that we can reflect on, learn from, glean from, the life we get to walk with as followers of Jesus. And Lord, we ask that right now for those that would be watching, those that would be listening, that you'd give us eyes to see and ears to hear what you want to say to us today. 
Thank you that you understand all the dynamics going on in our lives, at home, in our own hearts, on the job, with neighbors and those we're in relationship with, the challenges before us and the days that we're all living. But we ask, Lord, that you would take and you'd personalize your word, that you'd allow it, Lord, to speak loudly to us today where we're living. So we invite you, Holy Spirit, to make your word applicable to us. In Jesus' name, amen. Thanks. Hey, let's look at uh, Luke chapter 4, verses 1 to 13. Follow along in your Bible. I'm reading from the ESV. You're welcome just to listen to me as I read whatever you want to do. Here we go. And Jesus, full of the Holy Spirit, returned from the Jordan, where he had just been baptized, and was led by the Spirit in the wilderness for 40 days, being tempted by the devil. And he ate nothing during these days. In other words, he fasted. And when, they, and when they were ended, he was hungry, just like you and I would be, huh? The devil said to him, if you are the son of God, command this stone to become bread. And Jesus answered him, it is written, man shall not live by bread alone. And the devil took him up and showed him all the kingdoms of the world in a moment of time. We'll come back to this one a little bit later. And said to him, to you, I will give all this authority and their glory. For it has been delivered to me, and I will give it to whom I will. If you then will worship me, it will all be yours. And Jesus answered him, It is written, You shall worship the Lord your God, and him only you shall serve. And he took him to Jerusalem and set him on the pinnacle of the temple, and said to him, If you are the Son of God, throw yourself down from here. For it is written, now the devil's quoting scripture, he will command his angels concerning you to guard you, and on their hands they will bear you up, lest you strike your foot against a stone. And Jesus answered him, It is said, You shall not put the Lord your God to the test. And when the devil had ended every temptation, he departed from him until an opportune time. An interesting story, something that we can glean much from as we look at the life of Jesus. Now, let's get a little background here, a little framing of this story, and then we'll jump into the three temptations and what we can glean from that, all right? First of all, it's interesting to me that Jesus comes into the wilderness, it says, full of the Spirit. If you remember where he was baptized in Jordan, uh, the Holy Spirit comes upon him. And then it says he was led by the Holy Spirit into the wilderness so he could be tempted by the devil. And so here's something where Jesus is following the lead of the Holy Spirit and God has something in mind here of defeating the enemy through the life of Jesus. We also run into 40 days, don't we? And uh, this is something, a number that I'm sure as you've been reading your Bibles this year, you've seen repeated. Moses also fasted 40 days. He was up on Mount Sinai for 40 days. Uh, Israel wandered for 40 years in the wilderness. Jesus received 40 lashes and on and on it goes about uh, the number 40 in the Bible. We run into it again here with Jesus fasting for 40 days. Now, one of the things I want us to realize is this is real temptation. See, sometimes I think when we look at the life of Jesus, we just think he cruised through it. He had his relationship with the Father. We have to realize that temptation is only temptation. If it means you're close, your will is being tested to actually do it. Otherwise, it's not temptation, right? So, so just pause and think about that with me for a moment as we look at these temptations that it caused Jesus to be tempted. He was weakened already. 
by not eating for 40 days. And there was a vulnerability here. Now we know in Hebrews, it tells us in Hebrews chapter four that Jesus did not sin. So we know he doesn't sin. But we have to understand that again in Hebrews four, he identifies it identifies with this because it tells us he was tempted in every way, just like you and I. So he understands. Isn't that a beautiful thing? There's nothing that Jesus doesn't understand that we are going through. That's an amazing and marvelous thing, including temptation. And so we hear, we have the, the enemy going after Jesus. He wants to take him out. He wants to get him to act independently from God, his father. Now, this place where Jesus is being tempted here in the wilderness, it was, it was east of Jerusalem, and it was about 35 miles long by 15 miles wide. And in the he, there's a Hebrew word that describes it, and it means the devastation. And those of you that have maybe visited the Holy Land, you have seen this for yourself. This particular area, the hills are like heaps of dust. The limestone looks like it is actually blistered, and the rocks are jagged and bare. It's a devastating place to be. And it's in the midst of this that Jesus is dealing with temptation. And so let's take a look at each of the three temptations, maybe just a little bit closer, and, uh, and, and see what it was that the devil was after. Now, you and I need to realize that, according to the book of Job, the devil can only come and try to harass, attack, tempt based on the permission of God. And that's a whole nother message that we can get into. But all I want to say to you about is this, whenever you are attacked, tempted, harassed, condemned, whatever by the devil, you need to realize that God has something much bigger in mind behind it. He wants you to be able to break through. He wants you to flex spiritual muscles, that your spiritual muscles would become toned, bulked up, muscly, strong, being able to use to defeat him. And so whenever there's an attack from the enemy in our life, Shell and I have learned over the years to recognize when, oh, this might be the enemy. And again, it could be condemnation, rejection, or just harassment. So one of the things we realize, okay, God's got something bigger in mind. And when you're the one being challenged, harassed, tempted, you need somebody else around you oftentimes to put the hand on the shoulder and say, hey, let's step back from this a minute and let's see what the bigger picture is here. What is God doing? All right, and so just remember that, and we'll circle back here at the end of how some of these things can apply to our lives. But let's look at this first temptation. So remember, Jesus is hungry. He has been alone in the wilderness for 40 days. Now, just think about that. Rewind in your mind 40 days from today, and just think all that has transpired during that 40 days. He's alone, and he has not eaten for that long. He is hungry. So the very first temptation that we see here is, is something where um, the enemy tusks, uh, tests the lusts of Jesus' flesh. It's like, okay, you're the son of God. You, I know you can turn that rock, that stone right there into a loaf of bread. And he goes right after Jesus' vulnerability and weaknesses, which the enemy always does. That's why we need to muscle up in those things and be a little more intentional about that. But he goes after the weakness of being hungry. Go ahead, use your powers, act independently from God, your father, and turn that thing into a piece of bread and eat. For Pete's sake, you're hungry, eat. This is the temptation. So the challenge here is not one of Jesus proving himself strong, but rather acting independently from God, his father. And that's where this begins. See, the enemy wants uh, to, Jesus to act on his own to use the things he has for his own purposes. 
All right? Jesus meets your own needs. And he's also subtly attacking the character of God here by saying, what's the deal? Does God, your father, your heavenly father, does he not care enough about you that he wouldn't let you use your powers to turn this into bread? Isn't that sound like the enemy, the accuser, the one that comes and lies like that? That's what Jesus is dealing with. But we know that the devil comes with uh, these expressions of if you do this three times, if you, Jesus responds each time with it is written. He pulls on the truth of the scripture and, and you need to know, and you can dig this out later yourself, but Jesus pulls out of uh, Deuteronomy chapter six, verses eight. And this is a portion of scripture where uh, Israel is in the wilderness. And there's some things going on with Israel during this time that, that you can read more about that relate to, to some of these very same kinds of things Jesus is going through. But here Jesus pulls from that. They're all out of Deuteronomy 6 to 8. This one is Deuteronomy chapter 8, 3, where he says, It is written, man shall not live by bread alone. And so when he is being tempted to use his powers to act independently from God, Jesus replies, there's something bigger here. It goes beyond bread, which is, I mean, it, life doesn't get much more simpler than that bread to go into our bodies that we might live. And Jesus is saying, he said, no, there's something greater here. And when we look at the Matthew, Matthew chapter four has kind of the parallel passage to this. And Jesus talks about man shall not live by bread alone, but by every word that proceeds from the mouth of God. And so when we look at these two portions together, we're able to see Jesus clearly being able to say, look, my dependence is on God, my father. He is my source for everything, not just bread, but everything. And this is where the devil tries to get Jesus to again, again, to act independently, to go rogue on God. And this is where Jesus stands strong and declares right out of the word that no, 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 God is my source and I will not function independently from him. Well, on the surface, this temptation seems harmless, but the devil again is suggesting that God has abandoned Jesus in his physical needs. Jesus, of course, sees something much bigger in it than all of that and responds well. If Jesus were to do what the devil was suggesting, he would be committing the same sin that the Israelites dealt with. Do you remember in the wilderness where God gave them manna? It's an amazing thing, isn't it? God rained manna down from heaven every day. And then on the weekends, they, he asked them to collect twice the amount so they didn't have to collect on the Sabbath and they could rest on the Sabbath day. And if they collected more, maggots would get into these little kind of honey-baked wafers and, and destroy them. And Jesus uses the context of these things to be able to say, mm-mm, just like the Israelites were dependent on God in the wilderness for their food. I am not going to turn something into bread here and act independently. I'm going to rely on him. And so we see Jesus passing with flying colors, this first temptation. But again, let me remind you, this was real temptation. This was Jesus wrestling for a moment with it. Now that might be, you might go, well, no, he's the son of God. We have to remember he is indeed 100% the son of God, but he's also 100% man. And that's why it's called temptation. 
But Jesus draws on the strength of the word of God that had been so invested in him. And that's one of the things we have to always remember why when you hear your pastor and your small group leaders and your friends saying, be in the word. It's not just be in the word. If you're a good Christian, you be in the, it's not some legalistic, rigid thing. It's so that you can get the word of God in you. So when you need it, you can pull it out of, of pull it out of you because it's there. And that's what Jesus did in the midst of this temptation. So that's the first one. Now let's look at the second one. It gets a little interesting here, all right? The second temptation deals with the lust of the eyes. Again, out of 1 John 2, I believe, verse 15, it talks about the lust of the flesh, the lust of the eyes, and the pride of life. And that first one dealt with the lust of the flesh, meeting Jesus' own fleshly needs by turning um, stone into bread. This one deals with the lust of the eyes, all right? And we're dealing here with Jesus' Jesus's affections towards God and his allegiance towards God. And so what does the devil do? Well, it seems like a bit of a vision-like experience for, for Jesus. And it tells us that all of a sudden he sees in a moment of time, that it uses the, that phrase, in a moment of time, the devil shows him all the kingdoms of the world. Now, we don't know. Was that the Middle Eastern world? And so there you have, you know, Jerusalem, and, and then maybe you have over here, you know, in the known world, maybe it was that, we have Rome, or was there some ability, you know, to um, color it a certain way, where it was only the known world, but maybe a part of the world that the enemy would make up that Jesus would see? We don't really know, but it says that he showed them, it was like the kingdom and the glory of each one of those kingdoms in a moment of time. And so Jesus is seeing this. And what he's after is Jesus's allegiance and affection. Remember what he says to him. He says, "If this, this can all be yours, if you will but worship me. Bow down and worship me. See, the temptation here for Jesus is, look, Jesus knew the cross was coming. He knew it was coming. So from this time in his life till the cross was, was probably about three years. And so he knew the cross was coming. He knew the sacrifice that it was going to require for the forgiveness of sins. He knew these things. And it was like the enemy was saying, I'm going to create a pathway here where you can skip all that. You can skip all that. Yes, it's true. Every knee will bow. Every tongue will confess that Jesus Christ is Lord. But you don't have to go through the cross. You don't have to do it the way your father's laid it out. If you make an alliance with me, and see, that's a lot of what's going on here, is Satan's trying to create an alliance with the Son, the Son of God. And he's saying, if you align with me, I will give you the glories of all the world. But first you need to bow down and worship me. And one of the things that we need to realize is this is an entire lie. Yes, we know that the enemy is here on this planet and he comes to steal, kill, and destroy. But he did not have any authority to give this to Jesus, like he's saying. And so there's a, he has a delusion and a lie, and he's, he's trying to puff himself up and look bigger and more authoritative than he really is. Nevertheless, it is a temptation. And so Jesus is seeing something. So if you put yourself in Jesus's sandals... Skip the cross. Skip the difficulties of that. Skip the persecution. Skip all of that stuff. And I can still get you the glory. Wow. How does Jesus respond? Jesus once again 
quotes the scripture, doesn't he? And he says to him, you shall worship the Lord your God and him only shall you serve. So here Jesus is being attacked, being tempted. And Jesus jumps again into the scriptures, something that was woven in. And we don't know what Joseph and Mary, you know, exactly poured into him. But if he was a typical Jewish boy and he had gone through his bar mitzvah at the age of 12, we don't know if Joseph you know, when Joseph passed away, but we know he was around at 12 years of age because we see Joseph and Mary going back to Jerusalem to remove Jesus from the temple. But somewhere in there, Jesus had that bar mitzvah time. And part of the bar mitzvah training was memorizing huge chunks of the Torah, the Old Testament. And so Jesus had this invested in him and he pulls it out. It says that him only shall you serve. Jesus refuses this allegiance to the enemy, instead allows his affection, which is what worship is, our pouring out our affections to God, our affections and our allegiance. And, and Jesus remains true to his Father in heaven. And so Jesus passes on the glory that can come from this world and ruling over kingdoms. He wants to do it his Father's way. He passes. The enemy then takes him to a third temptation. Let's look at this one. Like the second temptation, this one seems to be a bit of a vision-like experience as well. All right. Jesus is taken to the temple in Jerusalem, probably on the royal porch of the temple's southeast corner, which looms over a cliff with the Kidron Valley some 450 feet below. So it's a very high place. And he looks down, Josephus, who is a historian of, of the time, mentions in his writings that looking over the, that very edge caused people to get dizzy. And so here he is at this very pinnacle of the place. And we remember what he says, throw yourself over. Let the angels come and rescue you. Surely you're the son of God. You can rescue yourself. And if you can't, the angels will. And isn't it interesting that the enemy quotes scripture? He quotes out of Psalm 91, verses 11 and 12. He says, he will command his angels concerning you to guard you. On their hands, they will bear you up, lest you strike your foot against a stone. And so here you have the enemy. Now Jesus has twice responded to him quoting scripture. And now the enemy takes and quotes the scripture. You know, right, that the enemy knows the Bible really, really well. But just because he knows the Bible doesn't mean he's necessarily applying it. And we know that he doesn't. You know, that can be a subtle thing in our lives too. We can know the Bible really, really well. But if we're not applying it, it's not mastering us. It's not taking hold of our lives. We have to move beyond knowledge of the word and into allowing it trans to transform our lives. The devil does not done that. And yet he, he's aware of the word. And he, he actually uses the scripture against Jesus in this moment of temptation. So imagine, imagine it's, it's like this. Run over the edge, son of God. Sprint towards it. Jump off. Surely the angels will catch you. Surely your father won't elect, allow you to die. And here's this temptation. It's a bit of a prove it. It's a testing God. It's kind of prove it. Prove yourself. To cast oneself down from this very height and live would take divine intervention. And so here, Satan is tempting Jesus to do this very thing. Again, to act independently from God. That's something we need to see on all three of these temptations. It's act independently from God. 
And isn't it interesting in the day that we're living in right now, how much independence is being exercised? Independence that negates God-given authority, God-given wisdom. See, every one of us, I mean, this goes back to the Garden of Eden, doesn't it? Adam and Eve acting independently from God and going ahead and taking the fruit and eating it together. Yes, Eve pulled it, but Adam was right there. She gave it to Adam and he ate too. We have to realize that there's something inside of us that just wants to act independently from God. We don't want to do his will at times. We don't want to be obedient to him. We want to do what we want to do. And so here's Jesus being tempted with the very same thing. Go ahead, jump. Act independently from God. Use the gifts, the strengths, the son of Godness that you have. For surely he'll rescue you. Wow. So how does Jesus respond? I think by, no, by, by now we know how he responds. Again, with another, it is written. It is written. And Jesus says that you will not test the Lord your God. You're not going to test the Lord your God. We need to realize that Jesus, in the midst of all of this, wins the victory through being in the word. He quotes the scriptures because he had been in the word as a young man. Now as the son of God, there's the place the Holy Spirit can draw upon that for him to quickly have access to, to, to refute it. You know this, right? That in Ephesians chapter 6, one of the weapons of our, our armor or the offensive weapon of, of our armor, if I can say it that way, is the sword of the spirit, which is the word of God. And we see Jesus exercising the sword of the spirit here all three times, pulling on this, pulling on the stuff that had been invested in his life. And it's one of the ways that we can really defeat the enemy is not just knowledge of the world, but application in our lives in such a way that it's really in us. So that when the Holy Spirit wants to pull it out of us in a time of spiritual warfare, it's there so that we can exercise that. Okay, so we see here in this last one, it's if we have the lust of the flesh, the lust of the eyes, this one is the pride of life. You can act independently and do this, you know, on your own, exercise your powers. And by the way, if you can't, the angels will come and rescue you. Certainly the Father will do that. And again, the, the temptation, the will being tempted, whether it's to prove himself or to shut him up or whatever the case may be. But Jesus walked wisely, leaned into dependency on the Father. And thus we see the responses that are there. It's an amazing thing. Much, much more can be mined in here. We just don't have the time to do it today, but I want to encourage you to keep looking at this. So, so let me just switch gears as we maybe take another five to 10 minutes here on application. How does this apply to our lives? And so what we're looking at here is the, the first temptation um, the enemy going after is, is God really your source? Uh, are you going to be dependent upon God? And so when you look at that in your own life, where might there be areas in your journey with Jesus where you were relying way too much on yourself? That you walk in independence versus a dependence upon God. Look, we all have areas like that in our own lives where we can trust in our familiarity with our relationships or with our gifts and abilities God's given us or our own experience. And, and, and subtly, we're not relying on God. Like even as I present this word, 
look, I can just go on stuff that's based on things that I know, or I can take the things that I know, but say, God, I am really dependent on you here to speak to the precious people of Grace Chapel. And and there's that that dependence. Is God your source? Like, Like when you're dealing with financial challenges or needs you can't meet on your own, do you first go to God? You know, sometimes you hear people talk about prayer in that it's like it's the last resort. Like, well, I can't come to the thing and I can't support it financially and I can't really use my time. I'll pray for you. Like, look, prayer isn't supposed to be the last resort. Prayer is supposed to be at the forefront of what we do. Prayer and my prayerlessness needs to remind me when I'm walking in a space like that, and I have at times in my life a prayerlessness, I'm not really being dependent on God. Prayerlessness equals Dave relying on himself, you relying on yourself. So I can often tell how my dependence meter on God is by my prayer life. And that can be very convicting to me. And so I I just want to encourage you today where might you be vulnerable in this area? Where, where will the enemy kind of come to poke and prod and try to tempt? And does it have anything to do with areas of your life where Jesus is not your source and where you're not dependent on him, you're really dependent on you and your resources? So consider that, okay? The second temptation, you know, that Jesus walked in here had to deal with uh, Jesus's allegiances, and I, and I will add affections, because when we talk about worship, again, it's our affections to God. So our, our affections and our allegiances, and Satan's tempting him here with all the success in the world, with all the ownership of the world, all these things, which again was a lie. He didn't have the power to, to do that. But nevertheless, we can believe those same kind of lies. If I just get that job, if I just have that title or position, that then I'll be somebody. And instead of recognizing our identity in Christ, our identity becomes whatever our title is. See, one of the things that I think we, we have to recognize here is that the enemy wants to push us into places in our lives to see where our allegiances really are, where our affections are, okay? Remember, the things that our hearts are affectionate about can draw us towards those things. They become treasures. And where your treasure is there, where your heart will be also. Let, let me just ask you something. And again, I just want to encourage you, don't, not only responding now, but just over this next week to really be looking at, is there anything that you're more affectionate for, a person, a thing, than Jesus? Wow, it's a, it's a big question to look at. Is there anything more that you're more loyal to, where that you've given an allegiance to, than Jesus. If you have, or you're tempted to do that, just know that's a place where the enemy, again, will come to poke and prod, try to lean into that, to tempt you further till you yield to it. These are places in our lives that we, we, can, we can recognize today and begin to shore up in our lives. So I want to encourage you in that. All right. What about this third one? This third temptation, there's a bit of a presumption here and a testing of God that is going on. And and presumption in our life life causes strife 
and it, it impacts our relationships and all that we do. And the enemy was trying to get Jesus to operate here out of presumption. Just like, because God didn't say to go jump off the cliff. Just go ahead. Just do it. Surely the, the scriptures say that he'll protect you. See, the, it shows the deception of the enemy, the deception of our own hearts, that we can be woven into those kinds of, of moments of thinking and make choices based of that, off of them. So can I just encourage you to take a look at this area of your life? And I want to say it this way. Where are you being presumptuous in your relationship with God? In other words, where he didn't initiate something. Some of you have heard me say this in my times with you. What God initiates, he permeates. What you initiate, you have to sustain. And are there areas of your life that you've initiated and asked God to bless that he has never breathed life on? It makes you stop and think. So you want to walk in obedience to the word of God and to the things the Holy Spirit leads and guides you in. And so where might you be walking in presumption today? And where can you align to obedience? All, all these areas we've talked about here in closing that are practical related to our own lives. If you're seeing one of those places or several of those places, you go, boy, Dave, I'm there. I, I'm walking in there. We know what to do. Go, go before the Lord. Just get some time alone today. Take a walk. Maybe get alone somewhere in your home. Just have some time alone with the Lord. And if you need to, repent. Repent is that turning around. It's turning away from where you're walking, acknowledging your need for God and turning back towards him. Just repent. Own it through repentance. Ask Jesus to forgive you and then say, God, I want to rightly align to these places. Would you lead and guide me in that today? He will. And these will become strong places for you that you can trust God in as he works in and through your life. Thanks for letting me be with you. Let me close us in prayer, all right? Jesus, thank you for the modeling that you give us here of how to be an overcomer. Thank you for the areas of vulnerability that we can see in our own lives through this story in Luke chapter four. And Lord, as we look to apply your word now to our lives, I pray, Lord, that you would strengthen us that you'd bring us breakthroughs, that you'd allow us to walk in a place of being overcomers in our lives. Lord, would you, would you bless our families this week? Would you bless the work of our hands? Would you keep us safe as we journey together? In Jesus' name, amen. God bless you, Grace Chapel, Knoxville. I'll see you next week.